0: This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Welcome back to Calvary Online, everyone. I'm John. You know when you're in like a class or a lecture and the teacher says to you, write this down. This is important. You're going to need to remember this. It might show up on the test. Are you thinking to yourself, I'll remember it. Or are you reaching into your backpack and grabbing a sheet of paper and a pen so you can take it down? Maybe you're one of those front row students who's thinking to yourself, I'm writing everything down. How do I differentiate this? So you underline it or you highlight it or you draw a little arrow or you make a star by it to make sure that it'll stand out. If the teacher says you should write this down, it's got to be important. We're coming to a section like this in our series in the book of James. James says, take note of this. You've got to know what I'm about to tell you. So if you have your journal or if you've got your Bible, turn with me to verse 19 of James chapter 1. James is in the second part of the New Testament. It's right after the book of Hebrews and before the book of 1 Peter. By the way, how cool is it that we get to learn from James? the brother of Jesus, one of the people who probably knew Jesus the best. They'd grown up together. James had watched as Jesus had grown wiser and wiser and had become increasingly influential in his life. Maybe more than any other person, James has unique insight into Jesus, knowing him as well as he did. And, and James went from not believing that Jesus was the Son of God to losing his life because of what he believed about his brother. He had a life-changing experience following the resurrection of Jesus. And we've come to this spot in the book of James where he says, I want you to know that what I'm about to tell you is important. Pay attention. So you found your way to verse 19 of James chapter 1, which says, know this, my beloved brother's Our Father in heaven, as we come to your word, I pray you would speak through it. I pray you might reveal to us what we need to hear. God, we know that your Holy Spirit works powerfully through your word. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come into each of our hearts, that you might help us understand what you are saying to us through your word. We give you thanks for it and give you thanks for your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Know this, James says. Take note of what I'm about to tell you. In these three verses that we're going to look at today, 19, 20, and 21, we're going to take note of three insights from James. The first is an attitude. The second, an action. And the third is an award. An attitude, an action, and an award. We'll start by marking up Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person, you might underline that, every person, this is for everyone, not just for a few, but this insight from James is universal. And as we'll see, it's so relevant and important to each and every one of us. Now, when we see the phrase beforehand, my beloved brothers and sisters, we'll remember that James is writing to a group of Christians. So this attitude that James is talking about, this mindset is one that is meant to be the kind of attitude we have if we're followers of Jesus. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our upbringing or our natural tendencies, we are called as followers of Christ in our attitude to be, circle this, quick to hear. Quick to listen. I think we all know that this attitude could be helpful if more people lived by it in our world. Everybody, it seems, is so eager to shout their opinions and there's a race to be first to share an opinion. We fear if, if we don't get our opinion out there, someone else's might crowd ours out. Platforms like Twitter and Facebook and comments on news articles have given everyone in the world an opportunity to be quick to speak and share and comment and on and on and on. But James says, don't miss this. Our attitude ought to be humble. Let us be the kind of people who are quick To hear. You know the phrase active listening? You've probably heard of it. It was coined by Carl Rogers in the 1940s. He was a clinical psychologist who did research on what made some counselors better than others at helping people solve their problems. You know what he discovered? He did all of this research. I'm sure they spent all sorts of money trying to learn that if you were simply quick to hear, it was helpful for other people. If you actually paid attention to what people were saying and let them know that you were engaged in the conversation you were having with them by making eye contact, by nodding, by not simply formulating the next thing you were about to say, that you might be a more effective counselor. What an amazing insight. There is no question that being quick to hear would help us in our personal relationships with others, but Perhaps what's on the mind of James is more than just a conversation between two people. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1. It says, Of his own will he brought us forth, that's God, by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The word of truth. Beginning in verse 18 and going all the way through verse 25, James focuses on the word of truth or the word of God or the law of God. It comes up so many times. And as, in, as important as it is for us to be quick to listen to others, how much more important is it for us to be quick to hear God's word? Quick to hear. That's, that's like being ready to hear or eager to hear. There's a a readiness and an eagerness that we're called to have as we prepare ourselves to hear God's voice. In Matthew 17, Jesus was on a mountain with three of his closest friends and God spoke from heaven and said about Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. James says, know this, let us be the kind of people who are Quick to hear God's voice. There are times when I'm reading the Bible that I'm especially quick. Quick to be finished. Quick to check the chapter in my reading list off of my list and and move on to the next thing. Quick to answer the text that interrupted me while I was reading. But when I am quick to hear God's word... I hear his voice. When I'm eager, I experience his presence. When I'm ready to hear from him, those are the moments I find most of all when he speaks. Verse 19 goes on to say that we're also meant to be, maybe underline this, slow to speak, quick to hear and yet slow to speak. Now, I bet we all have somebody who's coming to our mind that we would love to share this verse with. That coworker who dominates every meeting. The friend who tends to finish our sentences. Or the neighbor who is constantly interrupting. The book of Proverbs, it's kind of blunt when it drives this point home in Proverbs 17, verse 28, which says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Silence. Space. Being slow to speak can do wonders for a conversation or a meeting. And also, as we come to hear God's voice. God spoke to Elijah on a mountain in 1 Kings chapter 19. It says there in verses 11 and 12, And the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains, and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, The sound of a low whisper. The still, small voice of God is hard for us to hear if we're not slow to speak. If if we fill every moment with words, what are we missing out on? Perhaps the sound of a low whisper where God is speaking. There are lots of people in our world today who are wishing they had been Slower to speak earlier in their life. Social media posts are now being unearthed years later and ruining the lives of people. Slow, deliberate, considered speech might be one of the most important character traits in our society going forward. I mean, how many things do we all regret saying in our past and we wish we could just take it back? We wish we had been slower to speak. So our attitude of humility that James says, don't miss this, my friends. Write this down. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Our attitude of humility is one where we are quick to hear, slow to speak. And James goes on to say, slow to anger. Anger has clearly been on the rise in our world for years. And it just continually seems like it's finally reaching its breaking point. Uncontrolled anger has serious consequences. One of those consequences is abuse, which manifests itself in all sorts of different ways. It could be physical abuse. It could be sexual abuse or emotional abuse or spiritual abuse. Often anger turns into substance abuse as a way to control our anger. And all of these abuses hurt other people. I mean, look at how deep-seated anger has boiled over into the Russian invasion of Ukraine. In our own country, anger over ideological differences is causing families to be divided, churches to split. And our, our country increasingly feels fractured. And so much of it is being fueled by anger. So what is our calling? As followers of Jesus, James says, we're called to be slow to anger. So if scrolling Twitter or watching cable news causes us to feel angry, maybe we should think about whether or not that's a healthy choice for us. Some people would say, well, I'm angry about things that are worth being angry about. Okay. I would just caution us, because James says, in verse 20, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He does a side-by-side comparison between the anger of man and the righteousness of God. The anger of man is what leads to those kinds of abuses. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, But be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. When it festers, when we don't work through and and get over our anger in a healthy way, it results often in sin. And you might say, well, there are examples in the Bible where Jesus is angry. So, therefore, it's okay to be angry. Well, be careful. Paul says, in your anger... Do not sin. So let's look at an example of Jesus being angry and not sinning in Mark chapter 3 and verse 5. He finds himself in the synagogue on the Sabbath. There's a man there with a disabled hand and a group of religious leaders who's watching closely to see if Jesus will heal the man on the Sabbath and therefore they could accuse him of breaking the law. And in Mark 3 verse 5, it says that Jesus looked around at them With anger. And then it says, He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. So notice here, Jesus is angry. But do you see his his other emotion? It is one of grief, compassion for the religious leaders and the hardness of their heart There is compassion, grief at the same time as there is anger in the heart of Jesus. How often is our anger mixed with compassion for people? And how often is our anger actually directed at a person? I think that's what James is saying by the anger of man and how that is in contrast to the righteousness of God. Because the righteousness of God is the way that we are called to live. We might call it God's will for our lives, our conduct, our behavior, our attitude. Be holy because I am holy, God says. So James says, our attitude is meant to be one of humility, where we are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And then he goes on in the first part of verse 21 with an insight related to our actions. When he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put it away, he says. The word that we translate put away is like taking off gross and dirty, sweaty clothes and setting them aside. He uses the word filthiness to describe what we put away. Anger and other kinds of sin can result in a kind of spiritual filthiness that Christ followers are called to remove from themselves and put away and turn aside from, to just get rid of it. That's the action that James calls us to, to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Do you remember the show Dirty Jobs? It was hosted by a guy named Mike Rowe, and he goes and spends the day with people who have some of the grossest jobs you could think of. Jobs like roadkill cleaner, and garbage collector, or sewer inspector. One of the episodes was with a person who was a medical waste disposal expert. Their job is to clean up and get rid of biohazardous medical waste. I imagine when their workday is over, they can't wait to get that hazmat suit off. And depending on what they were cleaning up that day, perhaps throwing it out, maybe in in some cases having to actually burn it. That's the idea here, that sin is so filthy, so dirty, that as followers of Jesus who have been cleansed by his work on the cross, we just simply want to put away and discard our previous life of sin. And when it creeps up again, which it does, we once again put it away. Set it aside and turn back to Christ and remember that he's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. That action of putting sin away is something that we do over and over again in the Christian life. and We have to be careful because, James says, we should put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, uncontrolled. Unregulated sin can grow and fester in our lives and our hearts just like weeds in a garden and choke out all of the beautiful fruit that God intends for us to produce. So we've seen James give us insight on an attitude, an action. And now in the second half of verse 21, let's let's look at his insight on an award. He says, we, we put these things away, and then we receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Our award is the word of God. Not because we deserve it, but because, circle the word, we receive it. The word of God is a gift from God. We aren't naturally born knowing everything we need to know about God and ourselves. We have to hear God's word. And when we do, there is a supernatural work of God that happens when we receive it in our hearts. He implants it in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, which he promised he would do through the prophet Jeremiah. When he said in Jeremiah 31 verse 33, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is what James means by this word, implanted. God puts his word in our hearts, and it grows it's nourished as we hear it. It takes root as we live it out. And this award develops and finds its way to every part of our life. And then it bears fruit for God's purposes. The good works which he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. And this whole process is the work of God. Remember when Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. When God plants the word of God in our hearts, he's faithful to make it grow and flourish. And his word is powerful because James says it's able to save your souls. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes." When we first believe God's word, when we first believe the gospel, we are born again, saved by the work of Christ. That's one way to understand the way that the Bible talks about salvation. The other way is the saving that happens throughout our life, which we sometimes call sanctification. I think that is what is specifically in the mind of James in this verse. How the implanted Word of God, which grows and flourishes in in every heart of those who believe, does its intended work there, so that we might be God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Continually saved, if you will, by the Word of God. Because it's living and active. It's constantly doing its good work in us. It's reminding us of what's true, correcting us when we're in the wrong and drawing us back to the love of God. Because the Word of God is able to save our souls. How often do we think about our souls? We think about our bodies all the time. Am I eating right? Exercising enough? Sleeping well? We feel it when we're hungry. We know it when we're thirsty. But let us not neglect our souls. It is the most important thing about us. Jesus said in James excuse me, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We're going to spend a few minutes together now eating a meal, which is meant to nourish our soul, to feed us, to remind us of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus. It was a meal that Jesus shared the night he was betrayed with all of his disciples. And he was gathered with them, and he took some bread, and he said to them, This bread is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And after they had eaten the bread together, he took a cup and blessed it and gave thanks for it and said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me. This meal is meant to nourish our souls. It is meant to remind us of the work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. It is meant to encourage, to strengthen, to bring us back into the family of God. And I pray that as you've eaten this bread and shared this cup with us, that your soul is nourished. That you would be reminded of the good work that God is doing in your heart to call you to follow him to live your life in greater and deeper obedience to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do give you thanks. We give you thanks for your body, which you gave to us. We give you thanks that you poured out your blood for us so that our sins might be forgiven. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us To live our life with an attitude that you've called us to live with. That we might be a people of humility, following after you. And that we would live a life of action. One, God, where we put away sin and we turn back to you. And that we would remember that you have given us the gift, the award of the word of God which is implanted in our hearts, and that you are faithful to let it grow and develop and flourish so that we might be used by you for the work you've intended us for. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen.